Hello, and welcome to the Alchemy of Art podcast with your host, Addie Hirschton. Join us as we share folk tales and true stories about artists and the creative process. The quote of the day is by Heraclitus. The only constant is change. You cannot step twice into the same river. Hello everyone, my name is Addie Hurston. I'm a contemporary impressionist painter, teacher with the Indianapolis Art Center, author and public speaker. The purpose of this podcast is to share stories about art and artists to inspire you and help you move forward. Today's podcast features an interview with the artist Tricia Adams and the story of Impressionism. An announcement, I'm currently doing a 30 paintings in 30 days challenge. If you'd like to follow along, go to my art blog, that's at artistaddy.com to view the progress of (laughs) the challenge and the paintings. Many of them are available for sale on Etsy. Love to hear your thoughts in the comments section. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with Trisha Adams. Trisha Adams is a contemporary impressionist painter who currently works from her new studio in Orange, Virginia. Trisha was born and raised in California, and after college, she moved to Virginia and began working in an advertising department of a local newspaper. Because of her interest in computers, she quickly transitioned to desktop publishing and opened her own graphic design firm in 1985. After selling her business in 1990, she joined a color printing company, establishing their electronic pre-press department and retail service bureau. Trisha began painting in 2001, and by 2004, she was painting full-time. Landscapes are a favorite subject for her. She enjoys traveling to Provence, France, and Italy and Mexico to paint. She is a member of the 100-year-old Washington Society of Landscape Painters and has uh, her work in prominent collections, including the Virginia State Senate and many more. If you'd like to know more about Trisha Adams, visit her website at trishaadams.com. That's T-R-I-S-H-A-A-D-A-M-S. I started following Trisha's work after I found her in the very modern way. I found her on Pinterest. (laughs) (laughs) And I was immediately drawn to her use of vibrant colors that they they both reflect the natural environment, but they also push the boundaries of color just a little bit in a way I find exciting and fun. Um, She makes bold color choices that harmonize really well together. And I ended up taking a workshop with Trisha a few years ago in Beaufort, North Carolina, which incidentally, my parents just bought a house there. So I'm going to be going back to Beaufort at some point in the future. Um, And I just I had an excellent time uh, with the class there. I know she's going to be teaching in Beaufort again in the future. I recommend to anybody who's interested to join her newsletter 
and you can find that on the Trisha Adams website so that you can take a workshop with her or add her work to your collection. I just, I had a lot of fun at the workshop and her workshops are all over the world in amazing locations. So I'm very happy that Trisha's joined us today to share her ideas and story. So welcome, Trisha. Thank you, Addie. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, glad you're here. Let's start with the first question. What's the story of how you became an artist? Well, I think I'm unusual for most artists in that I, most of the time when you ask someone, they say, oh, well, I was born with a, you know, a paintbrush in my hand and I was drawing since I could, you know, crawl. Mm. I, when I was young, I thought that doing art was, was goofing off and that you really needed to be doing something very serious, uh, like science or math or something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, but as you age, you know, as you go through life, you realize that the intangible things have value, you know, like, you know, happiness. How do you measure that? Uh, beauty, just other parts of, of, of your life become more, uh, valuable and appreciated. And so what happened was I was a graphic designer for quite a long time, but after about 18 years in that field, um, I got burned out. Mm. And so I just, we moved to the country and I went through my homesteading phase. Which, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. We, you know, we have two sons and I homeschooled them and we had chickens and bees and goats and the turkey and, uh, you know, you name it. Uh, and we made cheese and wine and and soap. And, you know, we had a lot of fun. But uh, the kids grew up, and all of a sudden I didn't have my, my job of being the homeschool mom, and I needed to figure out what I wanted to do again. And I didn't want to go back to being a graphic designer. So right after Christmas, you know how there's that nice quiet week between Christmas and New Year's? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I... Um, I had a picture frame and I thought I'm going to make something to fill this. So I tore up magazine, magazine pictures with little bits of color and I glued them all down and I made a collage of a, of a woman. Okay. And everyone was like, wow, that's interesting. Even, even the kids who normally don't appreciate anything you do. (laughs) And and so at first I was, I was doing collage but they took me a very long time to do, about 40 hours to do one. I also had a stint of doing pottery. And I would make, I tried doing like production pottery, doing bowls and plates and stuff. I could never do the same thing twice. I just, it wasn't in my nature to do production work. Mm-hmm. I kept, you know, embellishing. So then I started thinking about what was it I liked about the pottery? What could I take forward into the next idea? And one of the things I liked to do was take a a slip cast platter and paint on it with glazes. And I thought, well, why, why go through the trouble to make the platter out of clay? I could just paint on canvas. And so that's how I became a painter. Wow. Okay, so what draws you to painting now over the other mediums? Because obviously you dropped the pottery and collage. Why painting? Why did it stick? 
Well, you know, I don't know that I wouldn't rather be a sculptor or or something else. I decided that I really needed to focus on on one thing because I was mm. actually starting kind of late in my life. I was 44 when I started painting and I knew that I couldn't become an expert in all the art. So I just focused on one thing. So I settled on painting. I think I do like the visual and the, the, the act of painting. I would like to try other, other things like uh, sculpture, especially, but right now I'm just trying to become the best I can be in painting. Mm. Understandable. So I absolutely love your bold and bright use of color. What role does color play in your artwork? Well, I think color uh, is a trigger for the emotions. At least that's the way it works for me. When I see an Impressionist painting, it's like my soul leaps up inside of my body. I just become energized by looking at it. And that is what made me want to paint is looking at the Impressionist work. I loved it. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to do the story of Impressionism as the, the story of the day on the podcast. If you didn't see in color, if you were colorblind, would you still be a painter? Would it have the same draw? Because I don't think it would for me. Well, it's really, I don't really understand what, colorblind people see. Mm. So I don't know how it would be. I had a colorblind student in one of my classes and I expected him to not paint well, but he made wonderful paintings that did have color harmony. So I don't really know how that works. Mm. Um, the other thing I like about color is it gives me a chance to introduce something unexpected just, you know, throw in a surprise. And I like to surprise people with my paintings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the class I took with you, there was one moment where you added one of those surprises and we all, who the class was watching you do this demonstration. We all went, oh, <laughs> 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 it was really exciting. <laughs> so what's the story of how you became an art teacher? Okay. Well, I didn't used to teach. And when people would ask me, I would say that I didn't teach. And that was because I felt that in order to teach, you have to be an expert, which kind of makes sense. You're setting yourself as an expert. But the truth is that it would take your entire life, my entire life to become an expert at teaching or at, at painting. And what happened that changed my mind was a, a woman asked me to teach her how to paint. And I said, Oh, I, I don't. And she said, well, I don't care if you're an expert. I only want you to tell me what you know, what you think, how you paint. And that gave me the freedom to say, okay, well, I'm not an expert. I'm just explaining how I think about painting, what, what things I think I've discovered mm. and sharing them. And that's, that opened the door for me to be a, a teacher. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think one of the things I love about painting is that you can always learn more. <laughs> there's really, there's never a point at which you could say, okay, I'm done. I, there's nothing more to learn. There's nothing more to, to push, no more boundaries to push. I could just set it down you know, unless you wanted to, if you decided, okay, I've, 
I've said what I want to say, but um, it's one of the things I love about it is you're never really a master. You just have to keep going and going and learning more. And I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you say most often to your students in class? Uh, well, it's funny because people, people um, almost tease me about my catchphrases. One is what color is the light? And um, the other is what is the focal point? And it's the reason why you must know the focal point is you need to know what it is you're trying to say with the painting, because once you decide that, it tells you how to paint the painting. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other is if you know the color of the light and then you'll know the corresponding color of the shadow and it helps you figure out what colors you're seeing because, because sometimes they're very neutral and it's hard to tell what color they are. Okay. Nice. What classes do you have coming up that your students can sign up for? Well, um, one that I love to teach is in Italy every uh, summer. And mm. uh, the next one is in September. I'd love to have people come along for that. Okay. Um, I'm teaching two, uh, five days in Beaufort. You mentioned that before. Yeah. And I love going there. I love Heather. I love the place. It's, you know, it's one of my favorite places. Mm -hmm. um, I have a another five day in Herndon, Virginia. So if that's convenient. Yeah. The best thing to do is to look on my website under the uh, workshop tab because it's it's usually changing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So what advice would you give to your younger artist self? Well, that's interesting because it, it asks the question to me whether you would change anything. What yeah. would you change? <laughs> it's a sneaky question. <laughs> and and I, I believe that everything unfolded in, in the perfect way and the perfect order. I mean, I would have uh, right now, I wish that I would have started earlier because then maybe I would be better, you know, before I hang up my brushes. But um, I think that what I went through and the other things that I did with my life were all necessary to be where I am right now. And one of them was uh, being a graphic designer, because as a self-employed person, you have to have a lot of discipline and uh, mm -hmm. a work ethic. And mm -hmm. that has really been helpful to me as an artist, because no one is clamoring for you to go to your studio and paint. You have to do that from inside. Mm -hmm. So the answer, I guess, is I would say... Just do what you did. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, and now I'm curious, how do you structure the average day? Do you, do you start in the studio um, or do you, do you have certain days a week when you're in the studio? Well, generally, um, I'm at home and actually on my computer most of the morning. Mm -hmm. I'm answering emails and updating my website and, you know, doing all that stuff you have to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then I usually around noon, I go into the studio and I work for five or six hours. Mm -hmm. um, I, I started out doing it that way because when I, well, when I first started painting, 
I would get so involved that I would forget what time it was and nothing else would get done. You know, like, oh, I was supposed to call the bank or whatever. (laughs) And so I I started the habit of doing all those things first so that I had the rest of it free. Awesome. Okay. So what message are you trying to convey with your work? Well, message almost implies that um, it's it's intellectual, like... uh, like it's a thought. I'm really trying to convey emotion. Okay. I want you to um, see something and say, oh, that's beautiful. Or I didn't notice that about that, that subject over there. I never would have thought about that. I want them to say that's beautiful. Life is beautiful. Hmm. I'm happy. You know, that's, that's where I'm trying to go with my work. What's your favorite art book or story? Well, my favorite art book um, was or is by Ted Gershner. It's called Oil Painting, the Workshop Experience. And it could be that it was just the right book at the right time for me. When I read it, um, it was, you know, very eye opening. He explained things about composition. He did. He does these things called paint on critiques where he takes a student's painting, he tells you what's wrong with it, and then he painted on it, and you could see the difference. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's fabulous for that. And the other thing that he did was um, he he gave me some freedom in that he said it's you're not copying slavishly the, what you see. You're using what you see as the inspiration for your painting. Yeah. So, you know, there would be... Uh, a slash of color somewhere and someone would say, what is that? <laughs> you know, that's not there. And he'd say, Oh yeah, that's a dumpster. He just makes something up, <laughs> but it was, <laughs> it was totally necessary for the, for the work. And it was uh, beautiful. Yeah. So I would recommend that book. Yeah. I remember one of the things she said in the workshop was it's a painting, not a police report. <laughs> and uh, that's become one of my little mantras that I say a lot. <laughs> To yes. my students. So wonderful. Thank you so much for answering my questions and, and sharing your story with us. And we will hopefully see you in the future. Well, thank you for having me on. It was great talking to you again. And now for the story of Impressionism. In France during the 19th century, the Académie des Beaux-Arts would host an annual Salon de Paris exhibition. This was a prestigious show of the, quote, best new artwork created by French artists. The show was supported by the government. It was considered essential for every professional artist to take part in the Salon de Paris, or they were not favored by art buyers. In 1863, however, There were so many works rejected from the exhibit for being too innovative that there was an outcry from the art community. They accused the Academy of only exhibiting an old-fashioned style and being unwilling to display new works. The Emperor, Napoleon III, was brought in to view the rejected works. He declared that they would have a second exhibit that year. 
In it, they would show only the work that was rejected by the committee. They dubbed this exhibit the Salon de Refusé. The members of the Academy thought that the exhibit of rejected work would prove to the world how terrible it all was and how superior the Academy's selections were. This was not the case, however. Not all, but many people loved the Salon de Refusé's works. Far more people visited the new exhibit than the old. A few years later, a group of artists formed. Many of them had been part of the Salon de Refusé. At first, they called themselves the Anonymous Society of Painters, Sculptors, and Engravers. This name changed, however, after the first exhibit. A critic by the name of Louis Leroy insulted a painting created by Monet for the show. The painting was called Impression Sunrise. In it, Monet was focused on capturing the light and atmosphere of a harbor in the early morning. The critic did not like it and stated, Impression? I was certain of it. I was just telling myself that since I was impressed, there must be some impression in it. And what freedom, what ease of workmanship. Wallpaper in its embryonic state is more finished than that seascape. Yet, other people loved how Monet had let go of the unimportant details of his sunrise scene. Eventually, the group embraced the term Impressionism, making it the word to describe their new popular movement. So my thoughts. Just as life is always growing and changing, so too do art movements. Innovation is essential for growth and should never be suppressed. While it is fine for selectors of any given art show to pick their favorites, this is only showing us one thing, what the selectors like. It does not necessarily reflect the vision or message that the public is craving to hear. So when you create your artwork, create work that speaks to you. The audience that's yearning for that message will embrace it. So the story of Impressionism is a true story. There are numerous books on the subject. I would recommend reading Impressionism, Origins, Practice, and Reception by Belinda Thompson. This story and many others are available in my book, The Alchemy of Art, Stories for the Classroom. If you love this podcast and want to see it continue, support us by going to my website, azirfineart.com, to make a donation on the podcast page. Thanks, everyone. May these stories about art and the creative process inspire you. May you find your voice. You have been listening to the Alchemy of Art podcast. To find out more about Addie Hirshton and her work, go to azirfineart.com. That's A-Z-H-I-R- F-I-N-E-A-R-T dot com.